This is Sid. Sid! Hi, it's Vanessa from LA Push. What are you doing? I'm buried underground. Oh, okay. I'm really glad you called. This is my 24 hour supervised self burial challenge. I'm gonna be in this box for the next 24 hours underground, oh buried. It's not so bad. My bro, Logan Run, is supervising and running the live feed. Thanks to him, I'll be safe. You said I had to find my own luck, right? Yes. Look, people in Russia are burying themselves for 24 hours for luck. Those Russian videos, they have millions of views. And do you know what kind of money we can make with those views, man? No. It looks insane. But if you're searching for luck, then this could be the thing for you. Holy sh! Yo, Sid, I have some 10,000 people watching. Logan! Logan, I lost you! Logan! Logan! Let me out! I hope everything is going great in the box. The name is Challenger. That's my handle. So what do you do? I'm a small commodities trader. Really? Well, James, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today on TSC on MNN. I Challenger. This is a very unique film. It, it involves stoners. It involves comedy. It involves a little bit of thrills as well. Uh, yep. Can you tell us how you came up with the concept of this film? And for James, how'd you get involved? Well, you know, I wanted to make a stoner comedy because it's an undersubscribed market. Or there's so few. I'm a stoner. So I, I knew I wanted to make that film. I didn't know what it was going to be. I knew it was going to be a buddy comedy. And then... For the longest time, I wanted to make a contained thriller after seeing Barry. I couldn't believe they spent 90 minutes in the box and, and got away with it and made it work. So I was like, you know what? I, I want to do a contained thriller. So there was a film I wrote with someone trapped in the trunk of a car. I mean, four other films. And, and then I just hadn't really nailed it. And then my co-writer found how these kids in Russia were doing this. They were burying themselves for luck. A bunch of people were doing it, and we thought, that's it. That, that has to be the idea because it ties into the internet and challenge. And, you know, so the two things came together and it kind of became a hybrid. So we didn't really know, right, James, whether we were making a comedy. like we, Because there's no, it's situational, you know. We, it was kind of, what are we making, you know? <laughs> but, but Yeah, you, well, you know, you kind of, as, as we were filming, you know, you were just letting it unfold organically. It's sort of like, a, you know, I'll let, Paul explain about the storyboards, but you have this planning that you do in pre-production. And once you start filming, sometimes you just, you leave that behind and you just move forward. And, yeah. and, and it's unknown territory in the sense that you don't have it mapped out, but yeah. you have an idea of what you want and where it goes. So you let what, I, what we like to call happy accidents unfold. Yeah. I mean, I boarded the film, storyboarded the film, two books, like every scene it was, you know, and then we didn't bring them out on the set because I just knew instinctively, I wanted to kind of rock and roll it and trust my instinct on the day. You know, like Werner Herzog says, you know, storyboards are for cowards. <laughs> we were, I've got that stuck in my head. And I'm like, you know what? Trust your instinct. And, and, and I knew 
going in that I didn't want to shoot it like TV, like A and B camera cutting. I wanted to do master shots and really let the, the, the scene and the actor and the environment work together. So there was an intention going into it, but you know, we didn't and, really and, know and we had the script it was going to be was... funny. Yeah, we didn't know it was going to be funny. I mean, James was naturally really funny. You know, with, mm -hmm. he actually is. He's always joking and laughing. And but he brought so much sensitivity to the character that that was more important than the jokes. You know what I mean? It was the heart. For I sure. Yeah, my friend. Thank you again for <laughs> for having me. Honestly, I mean, but that's the thing that drew me in was the script. You know, and so even though we're letting things unfold and there were some things we planned and then we kind of just threw it out and went organically with it, we were still true to the script and we had the script to, to fall back on for the entire shoot. And uh, it was something that his writing partner and him had, you know, after they had uh, put it together, kind of reached out to me uh, as his writing partner, producing partners, a friend of mine. And um I read the script and it's certainly one of the most original scripts I've ever read. You know, I know I, when I love something, when I read it and uh, it was a perfect opportunity, you know, for me to kind of just jump in and be a part of it before they change their mind. <laughs> <laughs> but we had a different idea going in. We, we were going to kind of do a kind of overweight crummy dude, you know, like a, you know, kind of loser type or, you know, someone who just a together because I was thinking visually because I'm a very visual writer. And then when we met James, it was like, no, 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 no. It has to be, you know, it was weird. He just so put so much of himself into the film. And when I met James, it almost became like, oh, this is how the actor has to be. And I think, you know, there's something to be said for that, for casting type. You know, people say type casting, but for me, cast the people that are most like your characters. I mean, then your actors will give you all the rest, all the mm -hmm. dimensions, but it just became that. I didn't know who this character was. I thought it was one thing. And then when Jimmy came along, it was like, that's what it has to be. And um, yeah. And, and then when he attached, it made it easier for us to get some other great actors who all, all of our first picks said yes. So it was, you know, thanks to Jimmy. When he endorsed it, you know, everyone else came on board. Thanks thanks to you, my friend. Thanks, <laughs> thanks to you, Paul. Coffee, coffee. Kara. There you go. I, I don't have coffee. I don't, I don't have coffee, but I have a coconut water. So I'll toast you guys for that. So. <laughs> coconut water counts too. I've got an, I've got some downstairs as well. Oh, LA, man. You should be in LA with the coconut water. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> soon. It's getting a little, getting a little cold here. So de definitely soon. Um, one thing I really liked about the film too, and granted, I did watch the trailer before. I did read the press release and, and synopsis, just kind of get a good idea before I cover this film. Yeah. It, it's like, even then when I'm initially watching it, you do get the sense that this is just like a, a stoner comedy. I'm not saying that lightly. I was enjoying it, but you forget that. Holy crap. Uh, not to give too much away. This kind of takes a really dark turn. I'm assuming that was a, a deliberate, right? For people to be watching this cold. And then all of a sudden like, wait, holy crap, this ain't the film I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's mythological. You know, he has to go to the underworld to, to confront his demons, which is his past that we don't know why Sid is the way he is. Why is he lonely? Why is he a hermit? Why is he kind of isolating himself from the, the, the community. Is it because of his weed and his gaming? We think that at first, right? Oh, he's just yeah. a loser. He even says it himself. You know, I'm a loser. You know, <laughs> I, I, why you, I, I call myself challenger because I never win. So his point of view on himself is the problem. You know what I mean? But it comes from the past. So as the film goes on and we're judging it on a surface level, the onion peels back and we begin to go, oh, actually there's more going on. And then, yeah. then that's why it's a hybrid because you're taken into this dark, place but with by someone who hopefully at that point in the film you actually care about because in the beginning you don't you're like who is this guy he's selling weed he's, he's not necessarily a nice person but and that's deliberate too and as you watch the film 
we see that people like him. We see he's a good person. And then we care about him. And then he's put into a predicament, ordinary person in extraordinary circumstances. For sure. And and the one thing I really like too, is just seemed like everybody, uh, especially James, you and Coy had a lot of chemistry on yeah. screen. Was, it, was that, did that kind of develop naturally? Did you know each other prior to the film? How did it kind of all play out? It was, it was pretty, it, it developed naturally and organic. And to be honest, it was quite immediate when we sat down even for the read through for the first time. Um, it was already there. Um, and that's just, I mean, that's a testament to Coy, you know, being a fantastic actor as well. He was great to work with. I think, you know, one of my favorite things about working with really great actors is they bring out the best in you. And so Coy really did bring out the best in me. And, you know, when, when you have an experience like that, um, that's something, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely thankful for, you know, the same thing can be said for the other actors as well. You know, we, and, and I mean, everybody across the board, I was impressed with everybody I worked with. I was humbled by the people I worked with, with everyone, you know, from Margaret Cho. And I've worked with her in the past, but not to this extent. Mm -hmm. So uh, everyone from, you know, Margaret Cho to Tina Manchurino to uh, Jerry Bednob and Dave Ferch and, you know, even even the stoner kids coming by to <laughs> visit me. I, th I thought they were, <laughs> I thought they were great. <laughs> Oh, there, was, there was a vision for every character you know what i mean jimmy we weren't remember going in we weren't like random like oh who should this be like it was very specific that made it easier i think because it, it really was, did and you know and coy stewart's character is like the anchor for sid you know they kind of great man, yeah yeah they they it's not even necessarily that they play off each other but they're really kind of opposites but inside they're not they're really have a lot more in common than it seems. And that's what ties them together. And then they end up bringing the best out in each other, mm -hmm. which I felt is what we did as actors as well. So that's where it became organic and natural. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as far as the filming of this movie, was it all throughout the pandemic and were there any challenges that you guys ran into if that was the case? No, it was, it was, um, it was before the pandemic, right before it. And with all the post was through the pandemic and, and all the um, live stream stuff was during the pandemic because we originally were going to shoot vignettes of people watching all over the city, you know, someone in their car. And, and then it became, no, let's make that a surface, you know, of faces, kind of like how we're doing right now. It just seemed more relevant to, to bring it up to present day. And, and, it, and it ended up allowing us to incorporate a hundred of our friends and all the people we know, you know, it just, it just personalized the movie so much, right, James? It was kind of it, like it, it was like a light bulb went off. It's like, oh my yeah, God. well, you know, it's it's genius that you that you came up with that because that's again those happy accents where one of the things I've learned in all the years of making movies is it's not how well, again, like we were talking about earlier, how well you plan things out, but how you deal with things as they unfold that you didn't foresee. Sure. And so one of them is is being thrown into lockdown and having an idea of taking a second unit and shooting all these people around town, like Paul was saying. And instead you get this visual medium that we didn't imagine. None of us imagined before that Paul came up with. It was brilliant. I think that you can see in the trailer where you happening. do see a hundred people on screen. Cause this is the world that we live in now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what was happening everywhere on the news. It was just every, the way we were communicating with everyone. And it just was like, Boop, that's how you have to do it. And it simplified it in some extent. It made it a little bit more complicated for the editor. A <laughs> hundred layers of, you know, in, in editing. But yeah, it was, a, it was a great thing. And I was a little concerned because like, oh, it kind of breaks the wall of a movie. It suddenly becomes something different. But because they dive into a live stream, I just figured we were in the computer. You know, we were kind of, and, and that's a very symbolic thing that runs through the film without giving it away. 
what the laptop represents, you know, in, in the end of the movie. It's kind of, you know, it's man and machine, really. You know, it's he's part of it. Yes, yeah. Cyborg, Jimmy. Yeah, I, re- I really like how the film, too, is kind of like it has a real modern take and everything. And you you mentioned you're a stoner. Of course, you're familiar with kind of that culture and everything else. But, you know, a lot of times with certain movies, certain TV shows, certain productions, right, they try to be hip and you could tell they're trying. Whereas this one is like it's just very topical, right? It involves stoner culture. It, it involves gaming. It involves kind of like the world we live in and the obsession with uh, you know going viral and the latest trends and everything else, no matter how ridiculous uh, they seem on the surface. And of course, in this film and, and execution as well. So do, for you guys, did you have any kind of uh, consulting or w- was it just like your own research or did you have anybody that was, you know, I, I don't say Gen Z, but somebody that, that kind of smartened you up and said, hey, this is what's going on in TikTok or in Russia or on YouTube that maybe you should apply to the film? You know, it, I have a 19, well, 20 year old daughter. <laughs> and a 28 year old son so it's them they, you know it's they, i see it and, and they're both on social media they're both you know one's a big influencer so i, I saw all that i saw it happen from the beginning and ground up and and and, and kind of it's more the obsession with identity the film deals with because they're coy and james are both have alter egos online that don't represent kind of who they are you know what i mean coy's yeah. like says he's 18 19 he's like 15 you know and, James is presenting himself as someone different. And he even says at one Logan says at one point in the film, I don't need a friend in real life. <laughs> that's really the, that's really the thing. It's like, wow, we've become so disassociated through the technology, but the technology also allows us to connect in different ways. So to me, the physical connection in the film is the most important. And ultimately what happens at the end of the film with James and the love story element. That's really what it's about. It's about physical connection and, and the disconnection through technology. And and yeah, and maybe because I'm so close to it, but I found a metaphysical, you know, uh, extremely meaningful subtext to the entire film, you know, and that has to, and it is tied in with Sid's growth. But when you meet Sid, he doesn't feel, and he says it, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm challenger because I never win at anything. He feels like he's so unlucky and he has no opportunities. And so that's how life appears to him, even though, Tina's character, for example, already gave him her number and he doesn't remember. So she's, he just wants to be loved and accept, and he's getting it and he doesn't see it coming his way because he feels, you know, because of the way he sees himself in the world. And that is tied into this idea of feeling unlucky. So when he starts to take these opportunities, as crazy it is, is burying himself underground. Part of the shift that happens, you know, is when you believe, start to believe that you're lucky that you do have opportunities that's when the opportunities in your life do appear and it's not that they were magically manifested all of a sudden it's that they were always there but if you're close to them you just can't see them and i thought that that underlying current of the movie and then the script was like had so much i mean it really is to me the heart of the movie Mm -hmm. you know because it sends this message to people as well it's like you know perseverance and opportunity you know you've got to take advantage of you can take if you can do those things you can turn your life around and sometimes the the you don't have to look any further for that than inside yourself yeah Yeah. it's it's like i have a phrase that's called you gotta want to you know what i mean and and it's true you gotta want it you know with regards to anything and like this film the reason we made it on a micro budget for nobody in 12 days is because we wanted to do it do you know what i mean there was like at this point for me as a filmmaker, I've been doing it so long. Like, I'm not waiting for studios anymore. I'm just going to make my own films. And even if I have to make them for 10 bucks, that's the way forward for me. And hopefully that will be what grows our personal community and we can make bigger films. But 
at this point, there's no stopping that. And that was the whole concept of I challengers. We're going to write the script. We're going to do it. We set a date, right? Before we even had a script, Jimmy, writer and I set a date and said, this is what we're going to do. And then, and that was, that was great to have a target to work towards and, and, and a cap of a budget going, we have to make it work for this. So, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? You just find a way if you want, if you want it, you know, <laughs> you got to want it. <laughs> De- definitely. And much respect to you, Paul, for those that don't know, uh, you've not only done films before, but of course, a number of music videos. I mean, you've worked with Seal, Shania, Twain, Sting, Lenny Kravitz, the list goes on and on. Mick Jagger, Celine Dion. I mean, just an, an incredible background, incredible resume. So much respect to you. But I would Thanks. assume that with that background, you bring kind of a unique flavor to the film side of things. So for so how do you feel like your approach is different compared to other directors that maybe just came up in film and TV. And for James, how what was it like working with Paul, whose primary background has been in music videos, going to film now? Well, for me, um, the visualist side of what I do, you know, as in create, being able to tell stories in short for short amount of time, so understanding narrative, and then being a visualist. I'm a I'm a cinematographer too, so I'm very involved in the design of of, of the look and all that. So. You know, to me, going in, it was, um, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't know if it was, but I, I kind of knew it was possible because we had limited parameters. But, you know, like, casting's destiny. Like, with this film, it had to it had to be about the actors. And But the experience I've had on set over 30 years, right? And I say this all the time. People think directing's calling action and cut and, and working with actors. It's not. Directing's you've got 10 minutes left, you've got two setups to do, the sun's going down over that building, there's a cop outside the way. It, that's directing. And that's what I've learned is is even though you can achieve an incredible amount in the time, it's you know, you always want to achieve more. It's like an equation of time versus money, idea, time, and money. Mm-hmm. And you only need two. If you have no money, you just need idea and a good and time. You know, so that's how I work. And, um, but yeah, my videos have definitely influenced. And I think someone that's coming up as a writer that's never directed or made anything like that, it doesn't mean they're going to make a bad film. They're just going to come from it, at it from a different point of view. I come at it from visual, audio, like I'm thinking of every element just because I've been immersed for so long in doing that. And, and, for, and for James, what was it like working with Paul, whose background was in music videos? And as you eloquently said, you know, being able to tell a great story in a relatively short amount of time. It was, it was a joy, you know, I mean, it, it, it again, everything fell into place, you know, very organically, I think because of Paul's experience, you know, and, and Mike, you know, I've been making movies for 30 years now as yeah. well. Um, and if I've learned anything throughout all the years, um, it isn't about styles of acting or anything. It's about being able to work with other people. Yeah across the board, different actors, different directors, different cinematographers, different makeup, different, everyone across has their own process of doing things. And so w- walking into this project, knowing about Paul's background. So there was one thing I didn't really need to, you know, and not that, you know, I'm not a director and I'm not trying to be a director, but, you know, you do think about the visual aspect of what you're making, mm-hmm. how I can add my color to his painting. And for that, you know, for me to do that, well, I need to understand what the painting is. I didn't really have to think about those sorts of things with Paul. And so the kind of the joy is, I think, when you have a really great director, and it's the same thing with actors and people across the board on your crew, you don't really have to work. In essence, you just kind of let people go and do their thing, and then we all make adjustments with each other, Mm. you know, because we're all in that zone. And 
I think one of the other real joys of it was, is I, you know, you have those moments when you're playing a game or playing music or acting or drawing or writing or whatever it is. And they call that, do you get in the zone? And right before we started filming, I felt, I think it was when we shot a little piece a couple days before principal photography started me shaving my head. And uh, after that, I, I fell into a zone and I didn't really leave it at all until we finished filming. And I remember sitting there rapping and being there at the end of the night, just being like, wow, I'm still in it. This is incredible. I can't just hold this. And yeah, I guess it's what 30 years of, you know, working on movies do when you understand the project you're making. Um, if that sounds weird to some people, we make weird movies. <laughs> but, you know, it all depends how hard you're willing to work. And to be honest, James is the first person on set every day. He got to the set and he goes, I'll just stay here. You know, I want to be in character. <laughs> whole method. Like, it was amazing. He became sad. It was just, it was, it was great to see. Man. It really was. Definitely. You guys definitely did a fantastic job, James, as said, especially. Obviously, what you were doing uh, was clearly working. And hopefully, everybody will check it out on demand on DVD January 11th. Uh, before we go, we always like to ask all our guests some kind of random rapid fire questions just for fans to get to know them better. Are you guys ready? Yeah, ready. Favorite late night snack? Pistachios. Huh? Yeah, it would have to be uh, cookies. All right. Besides James, all-time favorite actor. This goes for both of you guys. That's a tough one. All-time favorite actor? Yeah, actor or actress, yeah. Peter O'Toole. Oh, John Cassavetes? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Most awkward moment when filming I Challenger? When James got stuck in the box. <laughs> okay, I got to hear this story. I was going to say the uh, tunnel scene. <laughs> <laughs> Crawling through yeah. the tunnel. Now, when you got stuck in the box, we, when we were in the set, usually one side of the box was open. But when we were doing the GoPro footage inside, we closed the box and then we put a little sandbag on top. And we couldn't really hear him inside, only the sound guy could. So at one point he wanted out and he didn't, the door didn't open immediately. It took like 20, 30 seconds. And he's like, <laughs> he's oh like, yeah, awkward for them, off. frightening for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a real moment. But uh, you know, we got him out of there and 10 minutes later, he was back in with a smile. Oh yeah, it was, it was fun. Never complained, man. Not once. It was like, you know, so refreshing to work with someone that just wants to do it and believes in it is willing to work hard you know it's great well, I'm, i mean i really got to say you know it is one of my favorite movies i've ever filmed and i don't mean to sound strange i mean you've seen the film even for the fans that haven't seen it yet i had a really really great time making this <laughs> even the stuff in the box so i don't mean to come weird like that but i think for the most part we had a blast yeah i'll say walrus teeth to the to my partner and cohort yeah. while we were doing the box stuff. So we had quite a few laughs while we were <laughs> that, That's great. And for, for James, and for Paul too, like your reaction to this, it's hard to believe, right? You were involved in a little film back in the day called Donnie Darko. And it's hard to believe that we recently just celebrated the 20th birthday of the cult classic film. Now it was critically acclaimed at the time it came out, but I really feel like it's kind of grown over time, especially with the you know, Mad World and everything else. It's just such a cult classic with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, looking back at that film, are you surprised how popular it is uh, still to this day? Um, I am, to be honest. You know, you don't know what kind of life a film's going to have after it comes out. And 
all honesty, and you know, I won't be long about this, but when we came out, I think we were in the theater for three weeks and made about, I don't know, half, not even half a million dollars or half of, yeah, not even, it was a box office failure to every degree. So, you know, I love the movie. I love the script. I love the movie we made to see any kind of reaction after that was really humbling to see that 20 years that it's become something is it's unthinkable, really. You know, I mean, I don't, I, you're bringing it up and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, I, I don't really <laughs> want to think about that's freaking me out, but it's very, very cool. Even uh, Frank in the corner thinks. Oh, cool. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> to me, it's one of Donnie Darko is one of the best films of the 21st century. I mean, I think it's a great film. It's impressionistic. It's surrealistic. It's dark. It's it's metaphysical, like you know what I mean. When when when, because I knew James from the past from years ago, because we lived in the same neighborhood before the movie, yeah, before the movie, and around Independence Day, right? Which you were amazing in that too. And and so when when James's name came in, I immediately thought of Donnie Darko. I was like, oh my god, because I love that movie. And and the reason it's it has lived is because it's great. And sometimes innovative, unusual, surprising movies people don't like. You know, people like things to be in little neat boxes. You know, and that's not, and neither is our film. <laughs> I was about to say the same it's thing. That's what I love about both. They're yeah. original. You know, when I read the script for Donnie Darko, you know, with no context back then, especially to me, which my favorite thing growing up was the original Twilight Zone, Rod Serling's Twilight Zones. You didn't have to explain everything all the time, but yet you felt it and you know what it meant almost always, at least to you. And so when I read it, I was like, wow, here's a modern day Twilight Zone episode that someone did right. It's yeah. just movie form. Yeah. And when I saw it, it was even, you know, much that much more inspiring to me, you know, yeah. and everybody and in that movie. And, you know, it captured youth, right? It captured this kind of lightning in a bot, like youth in a really interesting way, not, not in an unpredictable way. And and we tried to do that within our film, too, to kind of shine a different light on youth, you know what I mean? And show, you know, a different kind of communication. I don't know. I don't think we succeeded the same level. <laughs> I would like to think of this Maybe in 20 years, Jimmy. <laughs> I would like to think of us at least now, it'll be much more common then, but an underrepresented population. That's what I would like to say. There's a lot of us out there. Yeah. My magazine writing professor in college uh, gave me some real good advice. I feel like it does apply to film. And and James, you touched on that, on how like it it showed people without telling them, right? And he always said like, show, not tell. And I feel like that's so important in films. You don't tell somebody that you know James or Sid is going through it, you see it like the, the movie like shows it to you. So how how important do you feel that that is uh, to film and, and TV for people to really kind of just like see it as opposed to really hitting you over the head with the subtlety hammer? I think it's, it's, I'm, I mean I'm a big purveyor of that to be quite honest. You know, if you want to talk about it, then you can write it in a book. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point to the film is to vis- to show it visually. And occasionally, I mean. If you're going to be so surreal, maybe you have to say what it is, but I don't think you need to beat people over the head with it. I think that that over that over it oversimplifies and it overcomplicates it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting show business, right? You know, the, our, the history of film started silent. It was all show. You'd know that you couldn't hear it. You had to literally tell the story visually. That's something I think I picked up from doing, you know, commercials and, and videos because sometimes there's no sound at all. You're just working. So, you know, to tell a story visually, I think it's a really good way, Jimmy, I think, for young filmmakers to learn, you know what I mean? To get some friends that have music, go out, shoot some narrative and, and you know, start piecing it together. And 
the first one will be not really great. The second one will be better. And the third one, and that's what I believe, right? Every time you make something, you get a little bit better and you learn more. And uh, for me as a writer, director, it's personal stories. You know what I mean? It's not about, you know, getting hired to make a movie for Warner Brothers. It's like, what's the next story to tell? You know, it's exciting. Yeah. It really is. That we want to tell and that we know how to tell yeah. that we think well. Yeah. And we don't need millions of dollars to do it. We can just go out and do it. Love it. What's the best piece of advice that you gentlemen can give for success? Perseverance. Not giving up and through perseverance and discipline, you know, opportunity when it presents itself, you'll be ready for it. Yeah. They're saying, there's a saying, if you want to be a writer, write, 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 right. It's just the same applies to anything. You got to want it. Right. I mean, it's so hard to get it done because you've got to pull a village of people together. Mm-hmm. But it's possible. It happens all the time. People do it all the time. They make films on a cell phone and it wins Sundance. There's nothing stopping anybody. You got to want to. That's it. You just have to want it. <laughs> <laughs> that's something that fortunately James and I have in common. <laughs> that we're, we're hungry to make films. Yeah, there's, there, I've been doing yoga for a couple decades now. And there's this one of the uh, laws or rules of it is this thing called tapas. Tapas mm-hmm. means burning desire. If you don't have the burning desire to do yoga, you're not going to do it. But it's the same thing with anything in life. If you don't have that desire to make that movie, to write that song, to perform, to walk across the street, it's not going to happen. So you need that tapas. You need that burning desire. And Paul and I are on fire right now and underneath. And we want to we light other things aflame, but for light, not for destruction. Yeah. <laughs> bring light. Well said, Jimmy. Very well said, uh, gentlemen. I really do appreciate the time. Of course, I Challenger, January 11th, available video on demand and DVD. But before we let you go, in one line or less from each of you, why should people check out I Challenger? You know, in these dark times where there's so much stress and negativity and judgment going on, dive into our film. You will have a laugh. You'll have fun. You'll be taken on a journey. And you'll get to witness the creation of love. You know what I mean? Which is what the film's about. It's about connection. And, you know, that's the message we want to put out there. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a wonderful film, you know, especially for our uh, stoner friends out there. Think mm-hmm. of it like when you first smoke and then you feel really good. And then all of a sudden it gets kind of dark and like thriller again. And then you overcome that and then you feel the light and the happiness again. That's like our movie. Well said, Jimmy. <laughs> it's a wonderful trip. definitely i I can concur if i do say so myself without giving too much away check it out i challenger january 11th and where can fans find you guys online uh facebook instagram at paul directs and facebook um under my name but we're just starting to build the the online website and all that now we're just getting going cool but yeah we're on socials yeah and you can find me on twitter and instagram at real james duval 